Today I want to speak about um, access all areas and how we can access all areas. I suppose the conventional title um, for those that like the Bible and things like that would be the priesthood of all believers. But as I was thinking about it, I thought I quite like the idea of access all areas. And if I had a PowerPoint, I'd have an access all areas slide right up there for you. So you can imagine that. I was looking for one with yellow and black. That's, that's the colours I wanted. Um, so the key first for this, um, the priest of all believers, is in Peter. In Peter, it says, a couple of things, it says... Um, Blah, 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 blah. Um, two, five. You also, like living stones, are built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then it says um, in verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So the idea of the priesthood of all believers is kind of a, an old concept, um, dating back significantly in terms of how churches function and the creation of the church. Um, it's really a, a foundation stone. But it's always worth us looking at these things again and considering what more is there for us to get out of it. What does it mean for us today? I found it very interesting that it talks about um, being built in verse 5, um, so as a being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. And I found that being word to be quite interesting in terms of a process. But there's also a factual element of it, because then it says you are a chosen people, you are a royal priesthood. There's something that is happening, I think there's a process going on with us, but I think there's a position that God's already lifted us to, that he's already done it. And in a moment, Jamie's going to expand on that for me, in terms of what priesthood means and the tradition of that. Before we do that, I just want to pick up that, that other word, royal, a royal priesthood. And I was thinking, what does royalty mean? What does it mean that we are royalty? He's, the writer's talking to us. We are a royal priesthood. So royalty is about authority. Uh, the royals in a country are the people that rule the country, they have final authority. What they say goes. And so there's expectations, we look at this, that as we come into this priesthood, this royal priesthood that God's called us to, that we have a royalty, we have an ability to rule. Our say-so goes as a certain authority that we can expect to have in the matters we deal with. Jamie, going to tell us a little bit about priests. Okay, Mark, Mark, you're going to enjoy this. It's one of my complicated PowerPoints. Um, so I, I find the, the topic of the, the how the priests work very, very interesting because in Hebrews 9, it talks about how it's a shadow of, um, of what we've got nowadays. So I've got this little PowerPoint to kind of talk you, talk you through it. So in the, in the olden days, in the old covenant, you would have... Um, the, the priests who were Levites, and the, they, they could work in the temple. Now, the temple was divided into two. So you had the holy 
the holy place, and then you had behind a curtain the most holy place, or the holy of holies. Now, the Levites could do all the priestly duties, but they couldn't actually go into the holy of holies. Only the guy who is the um, high priest, who, who would wear clothes like that, um, once a year, he could go behind the curtain um, into the, the Holy of Holies. Um, he used to have to have a rope around his legs and, and a bell, because if he did something wrong when he was in the ho most holy place, um, he could be struck dead by God. And when the bell stopped ringing and the guy hasn't come out, you know it's time to drag him out by the rope. So it was, it was a very serious business going into the presence of God. Um, now, this curtain was about 60 feet high um, and 30 feet wide and about four inches thick. It was a really big piece of cloth. Um, so he would carry with him blood. So they would have killed a, killed a bull or whatever and let it drip down into this bowl. And then he'd carry this bowl and he would go behind the curtain to where the, the ark was. Now, the ark used to symbolize the presence of God. And... On, on the ark, you would have the, the two cherubim, the two angels with their, with their wings pointing together. And they, when their wings come together, that, that's, that forms what they call the mercy seat. Um, now, the, the word mercy seat is the word pro, propitiation, which I can't pronounce. Um, but the idea that uh, it's, it's the point of satisfying wrath. So where, when, the, when the blood was poured... That there? there you go. Um, poured onto, onto the mercy seat. The images of, of God looking down into the ark. The ark was where the Ten Commandments, the tablets were kept. He would look down on his, his laws and he'd think, my people haven't done it, I uh, haven't kept to this, I'm going to blot them out. But when he looks down and he sees blood, it covers over the failure to, to meet the law. Now, I find that stuff all, all very fascinating because of, of where we're about to go next. But the, the word propitiation, uh, the way that Cop, Davy Coppett described it, is like I'm being chased by a hungry lion and a piece of meat is thrown out and it deters the, the lion from chasing me. It goes after the, the, the chunk of meat instead. And that, that's what Jesus did for me, that the wrath of God, because my failure to live how he wanted, to, uh, he wanted me to live, he, his wrath was coming after me. But then Jesus jumped in the way and... That he was what was devoured. And the sense is that once, once the, the lion has eaten this, he's never, ever, ever going to be hungry again. And that, that I, I just find so incredible that never again will God's anger come searching for me because what Jesus has done. So here we get, um, this is a picture of the look, looking from the temple from, the, from the, um, the holy place towards the holy of holies. So that, that's the, the, the curtain. Now, when Jesus died, it tore from top to bottom. And that was part of the symbolizing of the new covenant coming into, into, act, into being, where now what separated our impurity from his holiness is no longer going to be there because he's made us holy. He's, he's, he's made us all priests that we can all be able to access what he's done. And at that time, we see the moving of the Holy Spirit from living in the temple to be living in us. We, it talks about in, in Hebrews 8, 
7, 8, and 9 about Jesus being our high priest. And the high priest went to intercede for the sake of the people. Jesus still does that. But he doesn't have to go and intercede for his own sins because he never sinned. And he now sits in heaven forever interceding on our behalf, which means that we all got promoted. And I love that about, about what God's heart for us. Only priests could come into the, the holy place. So what does he do? He makes us all priests so we can all be able to access it. Thank you, Jamie. Had him do the technical part. Good, right, so we're all priests. That's pretty cool. So that means that we can all access God, we can all meet with him, we can all come into that holy place. But priests also had a role. They had some responsibilities. They were from a particular tribe um, in Israel, and uh, they were told when, when the lands were split up, when the promised land was split up, the priests were told that they weren't allowed to have any of the inheritance. So they had no means of support, um, apart from the fact that the priests had to receive all the offerings um, from the people. So all the tithes that the people gave came to the priests, which is not bad. So 10% of everything that you have, you give. Priests take all that in. Um, 10% of that, they give to the high priest. So you've got kind of like a pyramid system. You'd like that. Kind of pyramid system going on there. Sales system. Um, and all the offerings, all the meat, all the choice meats, they were asked to take the best of it. So hands would like that, all the best meats. Feast on that. Um, so although they didn't have a means of their own, own support, you know, they, they got fed, they got paid, that's all good. But they had certain responsibilities. They were responsible to teach the people. They had to bring all the teaching for the whole of Israel. Um, they had to sit as judges over any matters of controversy. Um, so if there was need for wisdom, it was the priests that were called upon to give that wisdom. They had to bless God. They had to keep the tabernacle, keep, keep the place all nice and shiny and looked after, make sure the systems worked. Um, they had to blow the trumpets, which is interesting. Probably blow their own trumpets, other, other people's trumpets. I'm not sure whose trumpets they were. But the significance in that is about the worship. Um, worship, but also warfare, because within the Bible we see a number of times that, that war is conducted with trumpets. So I think that's really interesting, that, that role in worship that they had. So they didn't really have a DOS job. They had something to do. But like Jamie said, because of what Jesus did, that brought the, the priesthood, as it were, to an end. Um, what that means is that we're all priests, we have that access to God, but we are responsible for those priestly responsibilities. So all the things that the priests did now is on us to do. And I think that's the, the point of that verse, is that we have a responsibility in relation to these things. So we all have, just like the priests all had a responsibility to teach the people, we all have a responsibility to teach the people. Ever thought of that? You might want to think about how you may teach the people because we all teach in different ways. Not everyone has to teach from here. But we all have a responsibility to teach the people, to teach each other. And I think that's a really important thing to log in your head. Okay, this is what was the priest's responsibility. Now I am the priest. I have that responsibility. We all have a responsibility to judge over controversy. 
we can't just say, you know, an issue comes up. Um, let me pick on one. Should women be vicars, for example? One that's obviously been a big problem here. Um, you can't just think, well, that's their problem, they deal with it. Actually, if there's a controversy, we have to consider it. Is euthanasia right or wrong? Again, we can't just leave these things. No, we don't have to get into everything, but I think there's a responsibility for issues that pertain to a church that we have a responsibility to judge, to share in the weight of those decisions, to consider them. We can't just sit there and think, well, someone else will sort that out. Maybe the Sunday morning meeting isn't working. We can't just sit there and think, oh, it's all right, Neil will fix it. We each have a responsibility because we are all priests. We're all leaders. Now, we don't tend to use that word, priests, but it's still relevant in terms of that point. What else did I say? Offering sacrifices. So it used to be the priest's job to offer the sacrifices. Well, now, obviously, it's our job to offer those sacrifices up to God. And I think our worship, again, is really important in that, as well as how we live our lives. To blow the trumpets was the priest's job. Now it's our job. It doesn't mean we all have to become Daniel Jones. And <laughs> but that role of worship and that role of warfare becomes our responsibility. So all these things that previously, priest of all believers is great. It means that I can come into the holy of holies. I can meet with God. But we've got to also remember, well, what else did the priests do? We've got to get an understanding of those things. What about the fact that the priests didn't have an inheritance? They were dependent on the, the tithe. So what does that mean for us? Should you quit your jobs? Not necessarily. But I think you know, it's that, that age-old principle that we know that we're, we're dependent on God for our sustenance, not on our jobs, not on our employers. I think that's a really key thing as we think about that and the dependence that the priests had on, on the provision, that we depend on God for our provision. So all those things, all those responsibilities, whenever you're reading through the Bible and you see a priest does this, you can think, well, what does that mean today? What would that mean for me now? So you kind of think with, with the church being formed, death of Christ, that priesthood was done away with. Um, but in many cases, the church leader becomes the priest. And we don't really use the term father, but in some churches they use the word father. For instance, Father Ted. Anyone familiar with him? I can't actually stand that program. It just makes me cringe. But it was the only first father that I could think of. Um, and you can think, well, the, you know, that's the father's job. Um, but if we take that word fathering, and we think, well, that's someone else's job to father, but actually if we are the priests, or we are the fathers, then it's our job to father. And the priesthood of, uh, of all believers... Therefore, we get that anointing. Not just that responsibility, but that anointing. In some churches, they call the church leader the pastor. You know, pastor does this, pastor does that. But with this revelation, we have a responsibility to pastor because we are all the pastors. So with that responsibility, there's a grace that kicks in with it. That's when it gets exciting, isn't it? And those are terms that we don't really use in this church because we try and stick away from titles. But I just wanted to expand that thought. But what about when it comes to children's work and we see the kids getting into trouble? 
Do we think, oh, where are the children's workers? Or do we think, where are the parents? Because under this revelation, the priesthood of all believers, we can't just think, well, that's their job. We can think, what's my job in that? Or with the youth. When we look at the youth and we hear a problem with the youth, I don't know, they're going to some crazy party. I know Owen Jakes is always, those parents are out, those crazy house parties. And we can think, well, this is something that the, certainly the parents should be doing. Shocking. Or the youth leaders should be getting involved in. But if you take that responsibility and automatically assign that to the youth leaders, then isn't that the same as saying, well, the pastoring is the pastor's job? Isn't that the same as that old system where we say, this person has that job, and therefore I don't need to consider it? But actually what we want to do is take responsibility for all these areas, so we consider. Now, I'm not saying that all of us should do everything. Um, that wouldn't seem very efficient to me. But what I really want us to do is consider doing everything. That we wouldn't dismiss things just because someone else does that, or just because I don't carry that title or that role or that responsibility. Or think about the worship. And you think, oh, worship's not going too well today. Or I'll leave that to Mark and Richard to sort out. Or maybe I'll wait for Daniel Jones to do a little bit on his trumpet. But actually, again, we have a responsibility um, to think, what's mine in this? Or the stewarding. See, we've got these different roles within this church where we can think, well, that's what the stewards do. That's what this person does. That's what that person does. But in all those areas, you have to consider what's mine to do in that. I might not have that role. I might not have that title at the moment. But what's mine? Jude. Jude is going to share a story. And then she's going to share another story. So she recently, recently, probably about a couple of years ago, started going to crash. How did you find it? Um, I didn't really like it. <laughs> You want, do you want me to <laughs> okay. We obviously haven't practiced this. So what did you do about it? Um, initially, first? well, my first couple of times I thought, mm, I'm not going to do this anymore. I, d I can't even remember what I, I didn't like about it, but um, the kid was quite young and I thought, oh, I just go home and get a head start on lunch or have a walk in the sun. Um, and so then a couple of weeks later, I think, as I was heading out the gate, you know, because you can look like you're going to crash and then just be a left. <laughs> And um, I was about, I got to the end just where the road is and I, I just thought, oh, I can't do this because not everybody can just sneak home and there'd be people there that could really probably do with a hand or a conversation and, you know, it could be quite a nice thing. And then as I thought on it more, I thought, oh, actually, the things I don't like about it were that some of the toys weren't appropriate for Caleb's age or were a bit dirty or broken and... Um, there wasn't anything to eat or drink, which is very important to me. So um, we, I started bringing um, a flask with tea and coffee to share and biscuits or cake. And then people just really um, responded to that and bring, bought cakes. And like Sue Evans would bring cakes and things and be, <laughs> how did she do that? <laughs> but she would, you know, bring things and other people would um, bring things and the conversations would be good and it just felt like something quite nice to do. Thank you. In a minute, just sit Because um, that gives a kind of a handy, practical example of where we can see, some, see a problem and just think, well, someone will fix that. 
But under this revelation, we can think, well, actually, what's, what's mine to do within that? And that's what Judy found. There's something for you know, her responsibility to take up in that. Um, what I want you to do is take a minute. I should have told you this at the beginning. So I'm not going to ask you to say anything, to me at least. I want you to reflect on a time that someone has brought something significant to you, where someone shared an idea, a thought, perhaps a correction, an adjustment, uh, a prophecy, a, a vision for you, and what, what impact that's had on you. I'll give you 30 seconds, just for your own thoughts, to reflect upon that. Uh, could you think of uh, something that someone said to you that was significant? Good, okay. Now what I want you to think about is what impact that then had in your life, in your mentality, in your approach. Um, maybe it applied to your work or your family. And now what I want you to consider is if that person didn't say that. If they didn't say that thing to you, what impact would that have had? Now in one sense we can kind of say, if God's got something to us, he's going to, you know, get the message to me any which way. And that's true, I think he will, I think he's merciful. But um, ignoring that part, just think what, what would have happened if that, if that person wasn't willing to share that thing with you. I think that's a good idea of what it means to be a priest of all believers, is that we can share things with each other that can be impactful. Um, Jude, another story, please. Um. I was saying to Nathan that when we, a few people went to the leaders weekend away in January, on the last day a lot of people came forward in response um, and talked about, and, and there was kind of a time of repentance and people were talking about some of the lies or things that they'd been believing that had kind of sidelined them and they were repenting of having listened to that voice and believing those things and going out of relationship with people or moving out of serving in the church or being involved. And um, <clears throat> as I sat and listened, I remember feeling just really convicted that some of those people I'd noticed drifting away or stepping back or seeming unhappy or looking withdrawn or um, different kind of symptoms perhaps of maybe not being in a good place or happy. And um, I just felt very convicted that I'd perhaps noticed an external symptom and not spent time asking, is there something here that I could say or do that might help bring release or, or even just acknowledge, look, you, you don't seem yourself. And, and I think from that, recognising what had been going on and feeling, gosh, it would have been really good to have been part of perhaps just standing with them or, or letting them know that I could see that or... Maybe even uh, having something from God to help bring a release from that position. Good, that's good, thank you. So again, it's easy to see those things and leave them or think someone else will do it or you know, the house group leader will pick them up or John will have a word with them or, or whatever it may be. But I think the significant thing is where we start to see those things and think, well, what's mine to do in it? I'm not suggesting that it's for us to do everything. 
But what I want us to do is ask that question, what's mine to do? Because there may be areas where you automatically think, oh, I don't, I don't qualify for that. That's not my role. I couldn't possibly do that. But we are all qualified because we're qualified through Christ and his death. That's what made us a priest. And therefore we're qualified. So I'm not saying you should all do everything. But I do want you to look at where you might have disqualified yourself and thought, no, that's not for me, and review those areas. Um, the real key piece about this is in Corinthians 12. Um, it says, The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it's with Christ, for we're all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we're all given the one spirit to drink. The body, now the body's not made up of one part but many. If the foot should say, because I'm a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And it, it goes on, you know the scripture, you can read that, that's 1 Corinthians 12. So we are a body, and within the body, each part plays a role. And if you didn't have your foot, that would be problematic for the body um, in terms of getting around, I think would be an issue. I might think there might be some pain if you lost that suddenly. So under the priesthood of all believers, we recognize that we are a body. We all have a part to play. We all have something significant to contribute. One of the other interesting things, after talking about the body... Um, Then it goes on to speak in 13. Um, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging bell. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. So we're qualified through Christ, but the basis of our operating shouldn't be about our abilities, because it's not our abilities, it's Christ. But the basis of our, our operating should be out of our love. And I think when Judy shared that story about the, the weekend away, there's an element of love that enables us to see. Um, when we love people, then God shows us things that will help them. Um, when we love the body, God shows us how to care for it. And so I think the starting point is about asking for God's love, asking for his compassion. We have the knowledge that we are all priests, but there's a point where we can say, okay, God, let me sign up for more. And I think as we get ready for the covenant meal, there is part of us that, that in each week that we're looking at these different items, we think, okay, as I go to that meal, I'm signing up to this level of commitment. So there's not a lightness in it, there's a seriousness in it, but I expect there to be a, a joy, an explosion for us, because we're refreshed of what we believe. We're refreshed that we are all priests, and that we function as a body, and we're motivated in that body by, by the love of Jesus that we share with each other. That's it. Sure, eh? No PowerPoint, nice and short.
the band's going to come back. Just as uh, Nathan was sharing that, I just um, felt God reminding me that we're able ministers. And I wondered where that phrase came from. Where do I get that from? I've got this thing lurking at the back of my head, and it comes from 2 Corinthians. I've managed to find it. It's a different translation. 2 Corinthians uh, 3 verse 5. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He's made us competent as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. You know, it's, our, it's the Holy Spirit working inside us that enables us to take that role, to offer the cup of coffee in Jesus' name in the crash, or to, to, to do what, what God gives us. So as we come back to him to lift up his name now, Let's just be open to what God's got for us this morning. We've been hearing that God is the one who holds us so close that no one else can get near. We've been hearing about how God has been touching the youth amongst us. Um, We've been hearing about the God who can help us find it, what God has called us for. So let's, let's come back to him now. Let's just, in our response as being priests... In his presence, let's lift up his name and uh, see what God's going to do with the next few minutes of our time.